It certainly is exciting here at the end of the school year. I know many of you are looking forward to um, the next few weeks, but let me encourage you to, uh, as we even have this series, that you keep your focus on the Lord. It's a time of spiritual growth and nourishment. And uh, many uh, times just getting ready for the next semester, all God has for you. Let me just tell you, and you probably hear this often, but the truth is life goes a whole lot faster than you think it's going to go. And I'm telling you, I was just sitting there up there thinking, man, 40 years ago, I was sitting as a, a junior in college finishing my first semester and had just two semesters left to graduate. And I had no idea life would go as fast as it is. I had a lot of things in front of me. And I was meeting my wife, which was a very good thing. And then three daughters and a ministry for 40 years or 37 years. It's certainly been a rocket ride, but it all goes faster than you think it's going to go. And you say, why are you bringing that up? And I'm going to tell you why. Because you are becoming what you one day will be. You are becoming what you one day will be. And if you are not on the journey now, you're in trouble. And you need to get on that journey. My junior year was a time of explosive growth spiritually. And I was right in the middle of that junior year, God doing some remarkable things in my heart and life and preparing me for a life of ministry. I look back and much of that revolved around extended time with God. It really did. I didn't understand a lot of things you did. Do, but I knew spending time with God made a difference. And I cleared time that was not my devotional time. And it uh, was time to seek the Lord every day. And that made a huge difference that junior year in preparing me for a lifelong ministry. So let me encourage you, you are becoming, let me just say this. Can I put this? You got to stop being a kid. You got to grow up. And some of you don't need to go home and have three bum weeks and come back and get right with God. Let me just tell you, you're older than that now. That's what kids do, but that's not what college students do. You need to go home and meet with God. And you need to come back stronger than you are right now. Now. And I'm just trying to challenge you, don't play games because you're a whole lot closer to life than you think you are. And some of you need to serious up. Some of you freshmen don't act like a freshman you go back. I'm telling you, you need to have three weeks where you meet with God, come back more on fire than you are right now. And that's what you, uh, you have to understand. You are preparing for ministry and it's going to be here a whole lot sooner than you think it is. And life's going to move a whole lot bigger, faster than you think it's going to move. And for some of you, uh, you are, your important decisions are ahead of you. That mate is extremely important. Your life's work, where you'll go. We talked about that yesterday. That first step, what God's will is, is all important. And if you're out of kilter and not walking with God, you're going to be in trouble. So let me urge you to recognize this. Grow up. Start spending time with God. And don't be a kid anymore. You don't need to go home and crash and burn for three weeks and come back. That's what high schoolers do. That is not what Bible college students do. Do I hear an amen on this deal? Okay. So I want you to understand that. And if you need help, just get some accountability, some people stronger than you and say, hey, listen, check in with me. And I'm telling you some of the guys on the moral issue are finding great freedom in daily accountability. If you need that, get daily accountable, but do what you have to do so that these next three weeks are uh, an advance, not a retreat. So uh, please just take that to heart. I believe God wants to do something this morning in chapel. We're dealing a series on the symptoms of performance-based Christianity. Symptoms of performance-based Christianity. Remember the flesh is our enemy, and whether it manifests itself in flesh dependence or flesh indulgence, the issue is the flesh is a bad deal. As I mentioned on Monday, Pastor introduced this series without knowing he was introducing it, but Galatians 6-7 is really where Galatians is going. It's basically this, flesh is a bad deal. I don't care if you depend on it, you're going to corrupt yourself. Doesn't matter if you indulge in it, you're going to corrupt yourself. But the flesh never works. And so what are evidences or symptoms that you're in a flesh-based, performance-based, works-based sanctification or Christian life? 
Well, the book of Galatians is loaded up with symptoms. I can't deal with them all, but as I'm reading, I'm thinking, oh, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. Now, yesterday we dealt with the issue of uh, pleasing men. Pleasing men as it indicates you're performance-based. In other words, you're far more concerned what people think about you than you are the will of God. And we talked about some of the ways that's manifested. In other words, uh, uh, not seeking God's will and knowing God has led you into the will of God and uh, just trying to please people instead of seeking God. We talked about the importance of finding what God wants you to do and taking that based on what God's uh, talking yard. It's about growing up, so to speak. I didn't have time to deal with chapter number two. I'm just going to mention it. Another thing that shows you you please men is an unwillingness to take a stand for the gospel. An unwillingness to take a stand for the gospel. And the Apostle Paul confronted the Apostle Peter. Now I get to heaven, I'm going to ask about that one. That sure had to be interesting. I'm sure Peter's, Peter's cackles went up a little bit when Paul, who was the younger of the two spiritually, so to speak, and confronted him and said, you're not living according to the gospel. Uh, but isn't it interesting in 2 Peter, do you know what he calls the Apostle Paul? Our beloved brother Paul. Isn't that interesting? And so uh, an unwillingness, listen, if you're unwilling to defend the gospel, then you are, you are performance-based. And I want to tell you, especially you evangelists out there, one of the ways you know you're an evangelist, you're willing to take a bullet for the evangel. I mean, it's all about the gospel of the sinner and the saint. That's what you're all about. And if your unwillingness to take a stand for the gospel, uh, then you're obviously performance-based Christianity. But I don't have time to develop that. That's in chapter number two. So much more we could say about chapter two. But I'd like to go into chapter three with the next evidence. The first one, of course, was man-based, pleasing men more than pleasing God. The second one is here in chapter number three, and that is the absence of daily miracles in your life. The absence of daily miracles in your life. Now look at chapter number three. It says, O foolish BCM students. I guess that's a liberal translation. Okay, there it is. O foolish BCM students, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. Now what's he talking about? Jesus Christ had obviously been lifted up as uh, the substitution truths and the identification truths. We know that because Galatians 2.20 is verses ahead of time. In other words, they understand that Jesus not only died for them, but they died with Jesus. And that wonderful truth of identification. So they knew all this. They knew the wonderful sanctification truths. It was not a problem of knowledge. Now let me just say for a BCM student, if you are in performance-based Christianity, I am telling you right now, it is not because you don't know better. You know it. It's preached around here all the time. You get that. So the problem is not ignorance. Sometimes the problem is ignorance. I'll be honest with you, I travel a country and present sanctification by faith. I love to see the light bulb, the light bulb go on. I love to see kids get a hold of the fact, oh, it's trusting Jesus to enable you to do the impossible. And that's a wonderful thing. But for many of you, you know the truth. It's been set forth. So Paul is, obviously you can tell, Paul is, is burdened. A deep burden in his heart, like I mentioned, Galatians is the only uh, Pauline epistle that has no commendation. None at all. And uh, uh, he's obviously burdened. And of course, some of you know the two theories, the northern uh, theory and the southern theory. I personally believe it's the southern theory that this is particularly in the book of Acts. Lystra, Iconium, uh, Derby, and uh, Antioch of Pisidia are the cities that were in the Galatian region. Those are the ones he's preaching to in my, in my estimation. I know there's others that think it may be the northern Galatian theory. It won't 
go into that, doesn't relate to it right now, uh, where we're going with the thing. But he's obviously extremely burdened. He had preached to these people, so now he's going to appeal to them based on what happened when he was there. So look what he says in verse 2. This only what I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And we all know the answer is, how did they get saved? And the answer is... The hearing of faith. They heard the gospel, they believed it. Then he says, are you so foolish? You can see that's pretty intense stuff. And I will tell you friends, you have to get context here. What would you think if I wrote you a letter over Christmas and said, oh foolish, and put your name in there? Wow, you'd be pumped up and say, wow, this is a letter from Dr. Jim, this is going to be good. Okay, you know, you'd say, wow, that's pretty strong language, isn't it? I remember years ago, I won't say who, but I, a man who's still in our church, uh, wasn't for a while because he was in a different locale, uh, a different part of the country. Uh, but I remember one day I confronted him about some issues in his life and he looked at me and go, wow, that's rough. Okay, so that's kind of where the Apostle Paul was on the deal. He's burdened. And he says, are you so foolish? Now let's continue on. Verse 3, having begun in the Spirit, here it is, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And we all know the answer is, are you made perfect by the flesh? And the answer is, well, no. You're not made perfect by the flesh. You don't mature spiritually, grow in sanctification by flesh. It happens through, obviously, the opposite of flesh is spirit. Okay, and what activates the spirit, if I can use that terminology? And the answer is faith. Okay, so let's continue on. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? Of course, he was hopeful that they would come back to true, uh, a, a true Christian life by faith. Now look at verse 5. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? And the answer is, of course, how do you live a miraculous life? By works or by faith? Now that indicates something. I'm telling you, you are in performance-based Christianity if you don't see daily miracles. The Christian life is not a natural life. It is a supernatural life. And if there are not supernatural things happening in your life on a regular basis, you are not in living the Christian life like God intended it to be lived. Let me just simply say, every single day you wake up, you ought to anticipate and you ought to expect God to intersect in your life. Now let me explain what I'm talking about by miracles, because sometimes we use miracles only in a dramatic sense. But I'm going to tell you, if you meet with God in the morning and the presence of God shows up in your time with the Lord, you just experienced a miracle. I'm telling you, that's a miracle from God. You see an answer to prayer, that's a miracle. You have a divine appointment, that's a miracle. You encourage another student and know you spoke words that life into that student, that's a miracle. Don't underestimate what a miracle is. A miracle is something wouldn't have happened if God wasn't there. That's a miracle. It's supernatural. And I believe this with all my heart. If you are living the Christian life right, you ought to see supernatural things every day. Listen, you ought to meet with God every day. You ought to see God answer prayer every day. You ought to see God lead you to divine. Listen, there's not a student in this room that cannot speak words of life to another student every day. In fact, you ought to be speaking words of life to other students because God just lays it on your heart to say an encouragement. There'll be time when God will just encourage you, maybe just to pat somebody's shoulder and say, hey, listen, I'm praying for you today, and speak words of life into that fellow student. I'm telling you, friends, you are in performance-based Christianity if you're not seeing miracles every day. I want you to think back. When's the last time you had a miracle in your life? I'm talking about something supernatural, something lost people cannot explain. Do you know that young, lost people don't wake up 
up in the morning and meet with God? Did you know that? They don't understand the presence of God other than maybe a Holy Spirit conviction or walking in a church like this and saying something's different here. That's the best they know. They know something's different here. And what are they talking about? The presence of God. The presence of God. That's miracle, miraculous, friends. And I am convinced, absolutely convinced, that the Christian life is a miraculous life. It's the way it ought to be. And it all happens when you're walking by faith. When you're walking, and by the way, one of the ways that you know you're walking by faith, I've already alluded to it, is expectancy. Expectancy. I'm expecting God to be around today. I'm expecting God to lead me. You say, well, preacher, I blow it all the time. I say the wrong thing. I sin. Well, listen, expect Jesus to cleanse you. And guess what happens when He cleanses you? That's a miracle. Even your failure gives an opportunity to see the supernatural. Because you and I fail God, but you know what it ought to be? Man, get right with God and expect God to cleanse you and to restore you and to right and immediately use you. You with me on this, friends? Are you getting this? The Christian life is a supernatural life. And if you are not living a supernatural life, something's wrong. It's performance-based. Like I mentioned, it's performance-based when you're living to please men instead of please God. When you're living to try to get men's approval, do what they want you to do instead of doing what God wants you to do. And we talked about that, tried to give the biblical balance on it yesterday. I won't re-preach that. But oh, number two, the Christian life is a supernatural life. And if you don't learn this in college, I'm telling you what's going to happen when you get in the ministry. I'm going to tell you about something about ministry. It's absolutely impossible. It's absolutely impossible. I remember my very first year of full-time ministry, 1984, the summer of 1984. My wife and I had been married just a few weeks. And although I had moments where God began to open my heart and began to understand some of this, I did not have the understanding that probably the least of you have. I was on a journey understanding things. But I'll never forget in the middle of that summer walking into an office where a pastor was, at uh, his office he had let me use. And I think I've mentioned this even recently. But I remember looking down on his desk and there was a magazine. Now, I know, again, many of you don't know what a magazine is, but you could ask some of us that are older. We'll tell you what a hard copy looks like. But there's coming a day when paper, uh, you'll have to explain to your kid what paper is. Okay, but anyway. And so, uh, uh, but anyway, I, I walked in there. There was a magazine. I can't remember. It was, could have been Moody Monthly. I don't know. It was some kind of Christian magazine. And most of you have no idea what Moody Monthly was. Okay, it was a magazine back in the day. Okay, but, uh, uh, and it had, it had right on the title, it had uh, Burnout. And I remember thinking to myself, that's going to be me. Do you know why it was, I said that to myself? Because at that point, I was trying hard to make it in the ministry. And do you know what I found? My best efforts were insufficient. I couldn't do it. I didn't understand everything you stood. I had moments where I met with God. There were times like my junior year where I was propelled forward. But uh, there were also times where I, it's like I, 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 I lost the progress. It was like, I, again, I didn't understand the spiritual dynamics and the warfare and all that. But I came to recognize at that moment, you know what I was saying? Performance Christianity is going to leave you burned out. You can't do ministry. You know why? Everything about the ministry is supernatural. You need, if it's going to be effective, it has to have God in on the deal. <laughs> I can't change hearts. I can't convict sinners. I, can't, I don't know who's needy. I, there's everything about ministry. I don't get it. But I'm telling you, friends, God knows. You know the thing I love about ministry? It's supernatural. You know the thing about ministry? If there aren't God moments, it doesn't work. 
I remember we were in a Christian school, make a long story short, one of our team members had counseled a guy, and, and I don't know, the Lord had burdened my heart on two areas in his life that I wasn't sure that uh, counselor picked up on. And, and I began to counsel him, and I asked him about his, uh, his uh, issue with pornography, and of course he admitted he was struggling in that. And I said, what's uh, the issue with your dad? And, and he began to weep. And his dad had walked out of his life and had had real bitterness in his heart. I can't remember all the details, but it wasn't good. And we sat down and dealt with him. But the point is, I thought about later how God leads to certain situations. And you look back and think, that was all God. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know what a divine appointment is. You know what it is to speak to somebody, ask somebody a question or whatever. And all of a sudden you realize, God was in that. That's not human. That's when God moves in. And that's what God wants you to understand, that ministry is supernatural. And performance-based Christianity does not have miracles. It's the best you can do, which is always 100% insufficient. So you better start to live by miracles. Some of you need to come back with some miracles in your life. And miracles, my friend, it just comes by faith as you learn to me. You say, well, how do you get faith? Well, I don't have time to go into it all, but obviously you nurture faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. There are two things that nurture faith. Number one, the presence of God. Number two, the Word of God. Okay, the spending time with God and spending time in His Word. Wow, those are faith nurturers. But uh, so see that. Okay, now there's something else I want you to see here. Let's go down a little bit into verse number, uh, verse number 10. For as many as of are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. I was reading uh, the commentary on Galatians by H.A. Ironside, and as I read through this particular passage of Scripture, he pointed out that the idea of cursed is the idea of condemned. You're condemned. Another, a third symptom of performance-based Christianity is the fact you live with the feeling of condemnation. You live with the sense, I can't do this. You live with the sense of failure. You live with the sense of guilt. You live with the sense of, I am defeated. You're cursed. You're condemned. Do you, I want to ask you a question, friends. I, I remember years ago I was counseling in a situation and, and I uh, asked a couple of the people that were involved, I won't go into the details of the situation, but I remember asking these people this question, is your life characterized with rest or uh, with um, lack of rest being the exception or are you characterized by a lack of rest with rest being the exception? And I'll never forget their answer because there was no hesitation. They said, no, our lives are, con are absolutely characterized by a lack of rest. You know why? That's performance-based Christianity. It leaves you condemned. It leaves you with the gnawing sense, I'm not making it. I don't cut it. I'm not living up to it. See, when you're living in, in faith-based Christianity, you are resting in the fact that Jesus is sufficient to meet all your needs even when you fail. He's your cleanser. He's your restorer. He's your, uh, he's your enabler. He's your fixer-upper. He's the one. He does everything. And there's a sense of joy and expectancy that despite all your needs, Jesus can fix them all. He can enable you and overrule and, and heal you and do whatever is necessary. You see, that's different than condemnation. Living with that unrest, gnawing unrest, I don't measure up. I can't cut this. So, performance-based Christianity leaves you condemned. In fact, in, in verse number 1 of chapter number 5, it uses the idea of bondage. We'll come back to that. That's a little different nuance. But the idea of bondage, obviously, is the idea I'm defeated. 
I'm in bondage to sin, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. But that's another aspect there, a sense of condemnation. Go to chapter number 4, and we'll look at one more before I go to the final one. It'll probably be the bigger one. Chapter number 4 of Galatians, look what it says there. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differing, differing nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because of your sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. Okay, a fourth evidence of performance-based Christianity is your relationship with God feels more like a master-slave than it does a father-son. Say, how do you view God? See, some of you, 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 you view God as having a baseball bat waiting for you to step out of bounds so he can clobber you. That's how you view God. You view God as an unbending, heartless master. That's how you view God. Now, you'd never say that out loud. But the truth is, you do not view God as a loving Heavenly Father. Now, I'm not diminishing God's holiness or anything. I'm just simply saying, I don't know about you, I'm glad that God loves me so that when I fail, He corrects me because He delights in me. And He corrects me out of love. So how do you view God? Your whole view of God gives you an idea whether you're in performance-based Christianity or faith-based Christianity. Because faith-based Christianity has the cry of Abba Father. It has the idea that God is my Father. And of course we all know that Abba Father is a very enduring form. In English we think of it more like Daddy. <laughs> or in some cultures Papa. It's the idea of an endearing name for a father because we know he unconditionally loves us. And even when we fail he's there to enable us, strengthen us, help us. So how do you view God? Because that will give you an idea whether you're living in performance-based Christianity or whether your Christianity is faith or Christocentric or like Galatians. Because you're in the false gospel. And if you're in the false gospel, it doesn't work. It does not work. Which brings us to the final one, chapter number 5. And as you can tell, we're taking a rocket ride through this. But chapter number 5 gives us the final one that I'm going to deal with before we tie it together. And that is secret sins of the flesh. Secret sins of the flesh. Now, one of the things you have to understand about the flesh is you can't control it. Have you ever noticed that the flesh always wants more? Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never, anybody know the next word? Satisfied. See, lust, you get into the sin of lust, you will find yourself that you always have to have more. More. Now, I'm not trying to be inappropriate, but people get into viewing filth. The, 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 they get used to the objects of filth, so they have to have more and worse images. And I'm trying to be careful and appropriate here. See, that's what the flesh does. It always wants more. And you know what happens when you have secret sins of the flesh? They become more and more and more. And that's why you have scandals. Some of you young men know that the more, in the summer, I was very burdened about a couple of scandals that hit over the summer. One was clearly an illegalistic ministry that was flesh dependent. The other was one I would call a progressive ministry that was flesh indulgent. But you know the problem in both situations? There was grievous moral sin. Grievous moral sin was the flesh. Hey, you depend on the flesh, I'm going to promise you this. Some area of your life you're going to have a flesh issue. And it's going to bring you down. It could be money, 
It could be lust. It could be anger. It could be some area you are, the flesh is just absolutely ruling your life. And here's what you'll learn about performance-based Christianity. There's some area of flesh in that life. And I believe that's why some guys go progressive. They're living defeated. So they move to the left. And I've learned don't debate them on their philosophy of movement. Ask them the question. Start asking them probing questions to find out what flesh sin is killing them. Start asking about pornography. Start asking about anger. Start asking about indulgent entertainment that has no boundaries. Because sooner or later you're going to find out what the problem is. See, some of you in this room, the reason you are not in victory yet is you've got a secret sin in your life. The flesh is not defeated in your life yet. And I will tell you, for the guys on the journey, the purity journey, seeing victory, as I've said it before, one of the most powerful things they are finding is the power of light. Getting it out in the open on a daily basis and saying, I don't care what it takes, who knows, I don't care what i got to do, I want victory and I'm done with defeat. And it comes to that kind of point where the only way you can deal with flesh is, you'll see it in verse 24, and I'll get enough time to fully develop it, is you've got to crucify it. You've got to crucify it. That's the only way to deal with flesh. And one of the things that crucifies flesh is light. Light. Some of you guys probably need to go home and talk to your dad. Others of you maybe need to clear things up before you go. For if you had issues of, of failure here that need to be cleaned up. And you will begin to find when you begin to move toward the light and begin to deal with sins of the flesh which are darkness, you'll begin to understand that there begins to come a liberty into your life. But performance-based Christianity always has a flesh issue. Now, let's look at some of those flesh issues because it's important for us to see exactly where they are. Look what it says there in uh, verse number 19. Okay, we all know uh, he's talking about the flesh lusts against the spirit. We understand that battle. He says the answer in 16 is to walk in the spirit. He won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, and look what he says there in verse number 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice what that verse says at the beginning of verse 19. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. You know what that means? They're obvious. And basically what I believe 19 through 21 is saying, the works of the flesh are obvious. Lost people do them all the time. Now, do Christians get involved in these sins? I want to ask you, are there Christians who are angry and have an anger problem for years? And the answer is, yeah, sometimes there are. It's sad to say. But I'm telling you, friends, what God is simply saying, works of the flesh are pretty easy to identify. They're everywhere. Look at your lost world. That's where they live. But what he's saying is Christians ought not live there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you can walk in the Spirit, and you don't have to fulfill the lust of the flesh. But I'm telling you right now, flesh dependence, you get into performance-based Christianity and there will be secret sin in your life. The flesh will get a foothold. Uh, you've heard me say it before. Flesh dependence always leads to flesh indulgence unless you meet Jesus. It always does. You give me legalistic people and you will find them in license before long. Do you know why? Because you can't live the Christian life in your flesh. And you know what people do who try to live the Christian life in their flesh? They give up! <laughs> And they compromise the standard in order to live. They either meet Jesus and Jesus enables them to live the miracle or they compromise the standard and justify it theologically. 
and get into what I call non-performance-based Christianity. In other words, their performance-based is what they, the rules they no longer keep, and that's their mark of spirituality. You go into some churches, and the more edgy you are, the more spiritual you are. That seems opposite, doesn't you? Doesn't it? Well, that's exactly what evangelicalism sometimes has as part of their movement. Not all, but part. Is uh, that, that non-performance-based, which I believe chapter 5 is dealing with, people who have let the liberty be an occasion to the flesh. So, here's the issue. What is God telling us? Okay, look at verse number 6. I think that's an interesting verse. Helps us put it all together here. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. In other words, performance-based Christianity doesn't. But faith, here it is, which worketh by love. See, every sin we just talked about in verse number 19 through 21 has its basis in the opposite of love, which is selfishness. Listen, you've heard me say it before. A guy looks at filth, why? Because he's selfish. Listen, if you love your future wife, you're not looking at junk. You're going to go running to help. You're going to say, I don't care what it takes. I love my future wife. I have no idea who she is. Or maybe some of you think you do. But anyway, and you have no idea who she is. But I'm telling you, man, I am, I'm going to decide to love her right now. You look at filth, you don't love your future wife. You don't love your future kids, and you don't love your future grandkids. And you just need to wake up to the fact your problem is selfishness. And you know what that means? You're in performance-based Christianity. Because if you're in, if you're in faith-based Christianity, you're going to have faith which always operates on the basis of love. It always produces selflessness. Why? Because that's a miracle. Did you know your flesh is selfish to the core? You can't reform your flesh. You can't make your flesh better. Your flesh hates everything God wants you to do. It is your biggest enemy. It's your traitor. It lives in there. You can't reform it. The only thing you can do is crucify it. You try to live by your flesh, you're in trouble. You indulge your flesh, you're trouble. My point is performance-based Christianity always has sins of the flesh. Listen, you've got an anger problem, you need to deal with it. And listen, if you've got a roommate with an anger problem, you ought to love them enough to say, you've got a problem, you better deal with it or you're going to be a terrible husband and, and father. And that's the truth. Anger is a big deal. It's one of the greatest enemies in raising kids. I will tell you right now, one time blowing up your kids is, uh, at your kids is blowing up your kids, that's bad too. But anyway, uh, one time, one time, okay, it's funny, you start preaching fast, you say things, you, you, you skip things, okay. And so you, John O'Reilly said, sometimes you get preaching, you, you don't say everything right. Okay, but anyway, uh, one time at blowing up at your kids is one time too many. It really is. You know how? I deal with them all the time. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you come from homes like that. It's one time too many. I'm just telling you right now, performance-based Christianity, you need, you realize it's, it's going to always have a sin of the flesh. And anger is a big sin. You think, well, I'm not looking at filth. Anger is a big deal. It'll hurt your kids, just like looking at filth will hurt your kids. Selfishness always hurts those you love. It'll hurt your spouse. It'll hurt your kids. It'll hurt your grandkids. It is a bad deal. And crucifying the flesh is basically this, brutally dealing with your selfishness. And I will tell you, friends, all of us have a bunch of it. You know why? Because we all got rotten flesh. And crucifying the flesh is just dealing with it, being brutal with it, however God leads you to be brutal with it. I'm just asking, you have a secret sin of the flesh? This issue of filth, I know we've dealt with viewing a lot, but I'm just telling you right now, it's, it's dead serious. And if you slip back and listen, for many of you in this room, you're not looking at filth, but your brain's a garbage pit. Listen, there are guys that are having victory in their brain. And you know how they're doing it? They're literally crucifying the flesh. I mean, every day getting accountable. You know, guys know about it. I've preached it to you before. Every day getting accountable. You know why? Getting accountable of what, what think. I, you should see when I preach to teenagers and tell them about young men who every day report on their thought life, they're like in shock. 
They can't imagine anybody would do that. But then when I tell them they live in sustained victory sometimes for months, it blows them away. They have no context to even understand that because they can't have victory for five minutes. Do you understand? Listen, if your brain's a garbage pit, you've got a problem. That's performance-based performance Christianity because when you're walking with Jesus, the flesh, what does the Bible say? Walk in the Spirit and ye shall... It's a double negative in the Greek. You Greek scholars know what a double negative is? Yeah, it becomes a positive. No, that's English. <laughs> yeah, double negative in Greek intensifies the negative. You all know that. Walk in the Spirit and you shall in no way fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know how much flesh the Holy Spirit has? And the answer is he doesn't have any. So when he's in control, you're not angry. You're not lusting. You're not living in defeat. You're seeing victory. We all understand that. So the point is, when you're in performance-based Christianity, I don't care if you're not living it very much and you're not checking the list, but when you're in that kind of basis of Christianity, the flesh will take you to the cleaners. You cannot control the flesh. A little bit of flesh will corrupt you. That's why the Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap. Corruption, as we were introduced two days ago. And I want you to understand, some of you in this room, that's where you're headed. It corrupts. A man has to resign his church because six years before he called a prostitute. I'm telling you, the flesh was given room years before that. Didn't start five, six years before when he called a prostitute. It probably started 15 years before when he began to live in defeat in the flesh. You better deal with your flesh. Performance based Christianity does not deal with the flesh. It either depends on it or it indulges it, but it does not crucify it. That's the big one here. Obviously, one I was actually, that's what the book is doing. It's crescendoing up to Galatians chapter 5. It's saying, listen, the flesh is a bad deal. Hey, a few weeks ago, man, I know that most of you wouldn't even think of this, but a few weeks ago, we were in a situation. There was a kid there. His older brother is facing years in prison. You know why? Because one day, drunk driving, he killed somebody. He was actually a director of a nearby YMCA. He was in his early 20s. And he was promoted up, the watch, running this YMCA over here, an upstanding young man. And, and you know what? It's like this. You can choose your sin, but you cannot choose the consequences. You can choose your sin. Now, I know as a BCM student, you're probably not going to go out and get drunk. But I will tell you, you can go out and get drunk, but you cannot choose the consequences. You can look at pornography, but you cannot choose the consequences. Some of you know about Josh Duggar. All you got to do is delve into that in a little bit. He got walked right into a sting. You know why? Because of looking at junk on the Internet. Now he's looking at decades in prison. Listen, some of you one day will be in an orange jumpsuit if you don't deal with your flesh. It'll always take you farther than you want to go. Remember years ago, dealing with a kid, he got saved at a, one of the camps I was at, went back for a while, really lived for God, then he fell off the cliff. The youth pastor told me later, one day he was walking through the auditorium. The auditorium was completely dark, but he sensed somebody's in the auditorium. He stopped for a moment. He heard somebody crying, kneeling at the front. No windows in the auditorium, so he walked up, saw in the darkness who it was. It was this young man who had gotten saved and had gotten away from God. And I know this is a little blunt. I'm trying to be careful here, but he put his arm around him and said, what's wrong? And the kid began to weep, and he said, I got involved in immorality. He said, I have a sexually transmitted disease. Now, you hear me. You can choose your sin, but you mark my words. You cannot choose the consequences. And some of you need to understand, you, do, you think you've got that little flesh in control. It's only just a little bit. You have to understand, you give the flesh an inch, it'll take the mile. It'll always take you down. And performance-based Christianity always 
has some little area of flesh you're not dealing with. You're not dealing with your anger. You're not dealing with your lust. You're not dealing with it. And I recognize the, those issues sometimes are a battle. My point to me is, are you fighting the battle? Are you dead serious about the battle? Are you in? There are, listen, there are tools around this place to help you with any battle you want. We'll, there are people who will help you. But if you're not getting the help, you know what that means? You're tolerating the flesh. You're tolerating defeat. And it indicates you're in performance-based Christianity. Because if you were in Christ-based Christianity, you'd be walking in the Spirit and you would not be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. You tracking with this thing? You getting it? Which brings us to the verse I've just quoted. And Galatians, of course, crescendos there in verse number 7 in my thinking. And the Apostle Paul ends it, okay, you don't like what I said? You want to do what you want to do? You want to depend on your flesh and live in the false gospel? You want to use liberty as a cloak for indulging in the flesh? Go ahead. But I promise you, it will corrupt you. It will corrupt you. I hope with all of my heart, if God let me hit 100, which is unlikely, but anyway, if I were to hit 100, I would hope with all of my heart that every single young man in this room would be on fire for God uh, 39 years later. Now I know how old I am. Okay. I'd hope you all be, but that probably is a pipe dream. You know why? I'm going to tell you why. Because right now in this room, you're tolerating performance-based Christianity. And one of the ways we know that is you care what people think way too much. Way too much. You really have no concern of searching what God's will is for your own. No, you don't get that. You're not willing to take a stand for the gospel. You don't see miracles in your life on a regular basis. You view God as an unbending master, not as a loving father. You sense good condemnation in your soul, and the list could go on. But probably the big one is this, flesh. Yep, you tolerate the flesh. There's some work of the flesh you let exist in your life without brutally dealing with it. I'll never forget a few years back, and some of you uh, are understanding we've been on this journey for a while, but it was probably a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, had a young man sit down with me and tell me some of the things God was doing in his life. And I've said this before to some of the young men, but I'm going to say it again. He told me what he was doing with, with daily accountability and some things that were really stunning. And I remember he looked at me and he said, I've had four months where I've been tempted to lust. But he said, I can honestly say in four months I've not given in one time. Now let me just tell you, that was not a moment of self-adulation. In the context it was a moment as, isn't Jesus unbelievable? The Holy Spirit can do it. And I walked away from that stunned. And you know what I also walked away? With great hope that your generation could change the world. But you're never going to do it if you don't deal with your flesh. And get out of performance-based Christianity and start getting to faith-based Christianity. And start watching Jesus do miracles. Don't miss this. Every day. Every day. When's the last miracle you saw? Well, when's the last time you met with God? I'm talking about it. When's the last time you saw victory when you're always defeated? When's the last time joy overflowed your heart like, man, I can't, I can't believe what God's doing? When's the last time you thought, man, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in the next 40 years through my life. I just can't wait. When's the last time you thought those kind of thoughts? I'm just asking you, friend, are you living the false gospel? Are you living the true gospel? There's no in-between. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just stand to your feet. Would you do that? Stand to your feet. 
I know we're here at the end of the semester and I absolutely do not want you walking out of here going home and living in defeat for three weeks. Like I said, grow up. That's for kids. That is not for BCM students. You know way too much. But some of you are headed there. You are headed there. And I'm going to tell you why you're headed there. Because you're not serious about dealing with your flesh. You're not walking by faith. You're not seeing miracles on a regular basis. And you're okay with that. So here's the, here's the invitation. If God's touched your heart, you say, I'm sick of it. Now, walking aisle is not magic. But you know what walking an aisle is? It's crucifying the flesh. It's saying, man, I'm done with that. Some of you got another step. And some of you maybe need to go with Pastor Swanson or Mrs. Gilmore. Some of you are going to need to get to somebody and say, I need help. Or get me accountable or whatever. I don't know what your step will be, but I guarantee you, if God's dealing with you, He'll show you what you need to do. Don't back up on it. Do what God wants you to do. So, in a moment when this piano begins to play, and you know God's spoken to your heart about way too much performance-based Christianity. I know we all battle it. But I'm just asking you, way too much performance-based Christianity. You say, I'm done with it, man. i got to take a step forward. And God showed me how to do it, what to do. Then I'm going to ask you to come and kneel and just talk to God about it.